0: Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world.
1: I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have.
0: We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody. It is Friday. It is one o'clock on the West Coast, and uh, and it is time for the Veteran Founder Podcast. I am your host, Josh Carter, and uh, with me is Carmen Nazario.
2: Hi. Welcome, everyone. Yeah. So uh,
0: you're back from Hawaii. How is Hawaii? Oh,
2: too, it was just too good to leave. Oh, I love Hawaii, and who doesn't?
0: Well, you come back to Portland, and it's like 40-nothing degrees, <laughs> yeah. and it's just ridiculous. So
2: Yes. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad to be back. So. Yeah.
0: We, we missed you dearly. So if you are unfamiliar with the show welcome every week we bring in these remarkable veterans and military spouse founders that talk about what they're doing in their business sort of like their their sort of origin story and this week we are really excited because we have somebody from Stubble and Stash which is you know as a card carrying beard person I'm very excited. Uh, you know, being in Portland, they sort of hand that to you when you walk through the door. You get a beard and a t-shirt and a coffee mug. Uh, so really excited to be talking to uh, Nick Carnazzi of Stubble & Stash. Welcome to the program, sir. Thanks Welcome, Nick. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we're we going to spend the next hour talking about you and Stubble and & Stash and your remarkable cause uh, behind uh, the business that you're working on. But first, my listeners want to hear about Nick. They want to learn more about Nick, right, Carmen?
2: Right. We we want to know, Nick, uh, I always like to hear where people are from and uh, what led them to the military. So where are you originally from?
1: So I'm originally from Southern California. I was born in Los Angeles, but uh, I don't claim it as home. I actually grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is where I was first introduced to to the Marine Corps and inspired to go down the service route
2: ah so yeah what brought about that inspiration to go into the military
1: so actually it was it was kind of an unfortunate series of events that worked out you know in my favor and um so when i was starting high school my parents uh, they were divorced when i was in middle school um, started the new high school and they my freshman year of high school they stood up a marine corps junior ROTC program and uh, I, I joined and then i quit and then i realized i made a mistake so i, I joined again and uh, actually turned out to be uh, one of the best decisions um, of my life thus far because it provided that structured environment that, that I desperately needed as, as a young um, you know young man uh, and, and with the, the what was going on in my home and personal life um, it provided that guidance that I needed and I always had an interest in military service but um, being part of that program and being introduced to the different service academies and being encouraged to um, you know apply to the Naval Academy, apply to West Point, um, it really kind of shaped, you know, who I wanted to be because looking at these two men, uh, both major Barker and Colonel Romero were my Marine instructor and senior Marine instructors, um, in high school and just seeing how amazing, uh, you know, they are. And I was like, I want to be like that when I grow up, you know, I want to be like these guys. And, uh, and then major Barker, uh, who unfortunately passed away last year, he encouraged me to apply to the Naval Academy, which I did. Uh, and I was accepted and I went to Navy with the intention of, of being a Marine. Uh, and I started there in, in 2000.
2: Oh, wow. That's uh, really great that you could start in high school. I didn't even know about those programs.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny he mentions that. Uh, When I I graduated high school early, so I graduated when I was 17. And you can sign up in the military uh, when you're 17 and a half, But you need your parents' permission, like you need a guardian Mm -hmm. to sign you up. So I was one of the few people that had to have their mom sign them in a permission slip to get them in the Navy, which I caught (laughs) shit for constantly. Which, uh, which is awesome to hear. But you know, the the upside of that is I got out of the Navy right as I was turning twenty one. So. You yeah, know, well, yay for me, right? So, talk hey, ta- awesome. <laughs> talk a little bit, Nick, about you know what you did when you got into the Marines. I know you you we we watched your video on on the website, and clearly you have a special forces background. But why why get into that uh, as as a job uh, in the military? What what prompted that? Yes.
1: So um, when I graduated in two thousand four, you know the Iraq War had just really started picking up, uh, and Afghanistan was was going strong. And, um, you know, I went to TBS, the basic school, which is a six-month course all Marine officers must complete. And at TBS is where we get our jobs, we get our MOSs. And, um, you know, I knew I wanted to be in the intelligence community. I, I've always been fascinated in, you know, why things happen and you know, all the training that we do. You know, I realized if we had bad information about the enemy and the enemy situation, that it would make for a really bad day for us. And so many of my friends wanted to go infantry. I was like, okay, I want to make sure— that you know, they are supported with the information that they need. And, and it just kind of like fit with my mentality. And uh, at the time, um, you know, in the Marine Corps, we have a few different disciplines uh, within the intelligence um, arena. And uh, aviation intelligence, the MOS of 0207, at the time, no one really knew what they were doing because there wasn't much of an air threat in Iraq. So we were, hear, we were hearing stories and whispers that 0207, these aviation intelligence officers, were being you know reassigned to getting some really cool billets and uh and I was like you know I'm a gambling man I'll take a risk you know I could go <laughs> I could go ground intelligence and know I'm going to be with the infantry or or eventually reconnaissance or you know I could try to go signals intelligence um but I was like you know let's 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 roll the dice and see what happens so my first duty station was out in Okinawa Japan with uh, the first marine air wing and uh, I landed there and I I'd get on the ground and then less than you know 24 hours later I'm on a bird to Korea uh, for one of the you know, month-long exercises that we do out there, and uh, I just bonded with with everyone um, in my unit so well, and uh, my bosses were like, Nick, you know, we love having you here, but your mentality—why are you the Air Wing?" And I was like, "Sir, I don't know." And they're like, "Well, you know, we have uh, we have some opportunities to go on uh, embedded training teams to Afghanistan, and so uh, you know, they they wanted to reward me for how well I've been performing. Like, you can either go to to Cobra Gold and go to Thailand on this exercise, or." You can go, you can deploy to Afghanistan with a nine-man embedded training team to train, advise, and mentor the Afghan National Security Forces. I'm like, I want to do that. So, um, deployed to Afghanistan with that, that nine-man team and uh, just had an amazing workup. You know, did a lot of small unit stuff out at the Mountain Warfare Training Center and uh, get in country. And people quickly learned that, you know, I was an intelligence officer, an actual blue-blooded, like, trained intelligence officer. So, I ended up getting passed around to a number of different um, units that needed some help. And that was my first exposure to special operations, both on the the military side and on you know the other side. Um, and and I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. And I told my boss, actually my boss's boss, when it was time to come home, I was like, "Hey, sir, uh, I think I'm going to leave the Marine Corps as much as I hate to say it, and lat move into the Army so I can go to the Q course and become a special forces officer <laughs> because I really like that community." And and he and, and, and he was like, "Nope, no, don't do that. We just stood up MARSOC. Uh, apply for that." So. This and is back and uh, in fill people
0: in on what MARSOC is.
1: So MARSOC is the Marine Forces Special Operations Command. So it is the Marine Corps' component to the U.S. Special Operations community. So the Navy, they have the SEALs, you know, the Army, the Special Forces, the Green Berets, the Air Force, you know, they got a bunch of cool stuff that they're doing. Uh, and the Marine Corps, um, we were always special operations capable with our reconnaissance and force reconnaissance, but it technically didn't fall under uh, the SOCOM umbrella. Whereas MARSOC does. Right. So you guys that, are always
0: just, lumped into like the Navy SEALs. You guys are always sort of part of that group.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, with with the mission sets of the SEALs, we're doing, you know, we're very similar to the SEALs. We're just not as good looking. Um, <laughs> you know, All my SEAL buddies are, you know, they're all about that. You have to look good and sound cool on the radio. Right. Those are the two prerequisites to be a Plus SEAL. Plus in, um,
0: in MARSOC, don't they give the upgraded uh, crayons? You don't get crayons anymore. You upgrade, right?
1: Yeah, we get the bigger ones in, like, the bonus box, <laughs> so, you know, you get that mystery flavor in there, which is always fun. I is it, it the
2: same type of training uh, in the sac as in uh, the Navy SEALs, or is it... Uh- so,
1: yeah, so SOCOM sets the standard, and it's a, a matter of how the services want to meet that standard. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, the SEALs, they do a lot of training in the water, and, and Marines, we're amphibious by nature, so we also use uh, water, but... We actually pulled um, our selection and, uh, I guess, pipeline more from uh, the Army uh, than we did from the SEALs. Um, and I, I, I was there, actually, in the early days. So we, uh, it starts off with assessment and selection. And once you're selected, then you go through ITC, which is the individual training course. And uh, I was at MARSOC before. That was a formalized thing. Um, so it, it's, it's a constantly evolving course and, and realize what works, what doesn't, and then tweak it. Um, but ultimately, SNOCOM dictates the standards that must be met to be uh, dubbed a uh, special operations, um, I guess, person. Nice. Mm-hmm.
0: So you get in to, you get into MARSOC. What, where are you deployed then after that?
1: So when I got into MARSOC, it was interesting. So I first joined, I was a platoon commander with uh, what was then intelligence company. Now it's, uh, I think, an intelligence battalion since it's been growing. And I joined with the, the goal of getting to um, the, I guess, the, the smallest level possible, which would be the MSOC, the Marine Special Operations Company. Um, which is the deploying um, unit you know, that goes in on the ground and, and are operational. So each MSOC is composed of a number of Marine Special Operations teams, which are about 18 um, people. And uh, those are all the you know traditional operators that you think about. Uh, so when I first got there, was the platoon commander for Intel Company, and then I worked my way over to what is now called the 2nd Marine Raider Battalion. When I was there, it was 2nd MSOC, 2nd Marine Special Operations Battalion. Um, and I started off in the uh, the two-shop, so, and then I worked my way up as the battalion intelligence officer. And then after I went through assessment and selection, that's when I uh, earned my way to um, uh, Marine Special Operations Company Hotel. And then we uh, deployed after about a year uh, of workups to uh, north uh, western Afghanistan. So the headquarters was based out of uh, Herat, but we were deployed to uh, several provinces in western Afghanistan. That's amazing.
2: H- how long were you in Afghanistan for then?
1: So I have multiple deployments to Afghanistan. So all in, I've spent almost two years um, in Afghanistan. My uh, MARSOC deployment uh, was a bit shorter. I think we were about like eight, nine months on that deployment. Um, but my first deployment to Afghanistan when I was doing that nine-man team, it was a little bit longer. It was closer to a year.
0: God, that's mm. a lot of time on in, in field. I mean, that's – like I did three years in the Navy, and I had two of that was uh, on sea duty, actual sea duty, like being mm. out on the water. So I can attest. Like, that's a long time to be spending uh, out in country man.
1: Yeah. I will tell you what though. I spent a month on a submarine and that was about as long as I could go. I am I'd so sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't do that. That's yeah. I was on a small enough boat as it was. But uh cool. So yeah, we're talking about Marsak. We're talking about your time in Afghanistan. Uh wh- when did you know it was time for you to transition out of the military? You said you transitioned out in 2011, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. So um, this has since changed, but when I was there, they didn't have MOSs for you know special operations personnel. So for officers, they wanted us to spend about four to five years at MARSOC, and the idea was that we'd go back to big Marine Corps and and help bring those skills that we learned and make the the Marine Corps you know more efficient and lethal. Right. Um, but that's changed. So now people can stay in the special operations community if they want to. And after my time was up there, uh, they wanted me to go to a third recon out in Okinawa, Japan. I had already done some time in Japan, and I didn't really feel like going back. But I was actually able to do a really cool um, project that uh, uh, at the time, Secretary of State Clinton was briefed on it, and I was told there was a one in three chance it was going to be in President Obama's read book. And it was a very successful kind of non-lethal operation um, that empowered some locals. And I did that in conjunction with a State Department guy. And a lot of people told me, like, Nick, you should be doing this full time. So I was like, okay, you know, again, I'll roll the dice. So I ended up leaving the Marine Corps and um, the State Department gentleman I was working with, he left USAID. And we started a company called the Stabilization Group with the intent of doing those same type of operations that we did in Afghanistan. Um, And basically what we were looking to do was to identify areas throughout the world, these ungoverned spaces that uh, were trending towards instability. And if they really went south, it would pose a direct threat to U.S. national security. So the idea was to get on the ground early, identify the root of the problem, and then employ whatever program was necessary to stop that problem from festering so we'd never have to send combat boots onto the ground. And then, um, you know, as, as, as we all know, government contracting is a beast. And we didn't appreciate how much time it would take to, to set everything up and, and get through the contracting. So um, that's what originally inspired me to, to leave the Marine Corps was to set that up. Um, and that was my first kind of like venture uh, outside of of the military.
0: I was going to say, there's not a whole lot when you get out of special forces that translate into the real world, aside from say law enfor- law enforcement or con- you know government contracting. So it sounds like you fell right into the transition pretty easily.
1: Yeah, it was an easy transition until the business failed miserably. Oh no! <laughs> oh. How, how long so, did it, you it,
2: how long did you do the business for?
1: So we had it for a year. Um, so we were doing it for a year. So I actually packed up all my things from North Carolina, moved up to D.C. since we were going after USAID contracts, State Department, some SOCOM things. Um, and we were just, you know, we were naive. We were learning the hard way. And, uh, you know, in the startup world, your burn rate's always faster than you think it's going to be. So I was in D.C. full time without a paycheck. Then my business partner was up in uh, Buffalo, New York, and he was uh, getting his Ph.D. part time in golfing the other part of the time. And um, and then it came to a point where, you know, it, it takes so long for these contracts. We kind of learned some of the realities of some of these contracts are actually pretty much already granted before, you know, the, the RFP comes out. Right. Um, which was kind of a bit disheartening. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a matter of, you know, we were burning too much money because we were just living off savings and uh, things weren't hitting. It's like, OK, well, you know, I'm going to have to take a, a, a day job uh, just to keep a roof over my head. And uh, nice. my business partner and I, we had a bit of a, of a fallout, which is always hard when you go into business with, uh, with a buddy. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we kind of lost trust in one another. And, um, you know, from my perspective, I'm here on the ground grinding away in DC and he's up in Buffalo doing his own thing. Uh, so I felt like I was investing a lot more time into it and, uh, it just kind of soured and I realized you know, I just need to part ways and, and, uh, and, and, and push on. It's hard and to recover from so, that, too.
0: Once you go down that path, it's really, it's just, I've been there, man. And it's, tar- it's hard to turn that corner. And it sucks to lose a friend over it because I've done that, too. I've, I've run businesses and, and have you know, friends that I don't talk to anymore as a, re- as a result. Uh, so we've been talking to Nick Carnazzi, founder of Stubble & Stash. Nick, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Cool? Cool. Go for it. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. And we're back with Nick Carnazzi, founder of Stubble & Stash. Um... Carmen this is a remarkable story like so far this has been pretty great like I Nick this is awesome I'm loving this so far
2: Yeah and and, <laughs> and Nick when you left uh, what uh, what rank were you you were an officer and uh, how yeah, long so did I left you... as... I'm sorry I'm go sorry. ahead You you ended no, up
1: No I, uh, uh... I left as a captain
2: Okay so you ended up being how many years in the military
1: So not counting my time at the Naval Academy just about 7
2: Okay. Yeah, that's uh...
0: yeah, it's a good good stint. Yep. So we were just talking before the break of this failure for your first business. And what do you think you took from the military that prepared you for not only growing this initial business but, but the failure of it?
1: Yeah, so it's it's um I think one of the biggest takeaways was the idea that, you know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. So the ability to, you know, understand like, okay, we have this idea, right? Mm-hmm. But uh-oh, it's not working, so let's pivot, let's adjust, let's keep finding a way, you know, let's find a way to accomplish our mission, even if it's not as we initially planned. So, you know, for me, I my background, it's in intelligence and special operations uh, and things like that, it's not in international development. Now, I had some experience when I was deployed Uh, But here I am in D.C. trying to figure this out, right, trying to understand, like, how this works, you know, how do State Department USAID folks and their respective contractors talk to one another? Because we all know different sets of people, you interact a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, So just that flexibility and and the ability just to keep an open ear and kind of understand, look, listen, see what's going on and then adapt to that. um, That was very beneficial. And then also the pure the work ethic, you know, with, with, I think most of us in the military, you know, the only time we're going to stop is when we drop dead or we physically can't move anymore. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, mm-hmm. grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding. And then eventually it pays off for you. So I, I think those attributes were by far, you know, my, my biggest um, um, drivers, you know, and what I kind of lean on the most, especially in the startup world.
0: So you, this business fails, what's next for you? What, where do you go from here?
1: So, actually, in the business, uh, we wanted to use this, this computer software that I had used uh, in the special operations community and uh, trying to figure out a way to do that because it's an expensive uh, um, setup. And I had met a guy uh, named Pat Ryan who um, was the president of a, a company out of uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And uh, I had talked to him about um, using um, you know, their software. And he's like, Nick, you know, if you ever need a job, I, I would love to bring you on board because we could use your help. I was like, okay, I'll keep that in mind. And then when I realized I was going to walk away from uh, the stabilization group, I, I, uh, I picked Pat. I was like, hey, Pat, do you remember when you said that you need mm-hmm. some help? And uh, do, you, do you still need help? He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, come on in. So I went through the interview process, and they uh, they hired me on. and ended up managing a team of about 30 people that were supporting the intelligence community and the special operations community here in the Beltway. Um, so I just kind of walked right into that, which was great.
0: Well, That's awesome. Yeah. So you uh – Let's talk about stubble and stash. You have this idea; it had come from sort of your one of your fallen comrades. You, want, I've, I've seen the video on your website, which is really powerful, by the way. And and congrats on your amazing beard. But let's talk. <laughs> about
2: <laughs> let's talk Yeah, about, I saw the video too, Nick. I, <laughs> and I'll
0: tell you right now, uh, my wife and I watched this video together last night, and I shit you not, the the phrase that she used was "lady boner." So congratulations on that. <laughs> uh, but but let's talk about stubble and stash. I, it came from this really. Uh, Kind of really uh, amazing backstory of one of your comrades.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, in the special operations community, we normally grow our uh, beards out depending on the mission. And uh, one of my really good friends, um, Sergeant Justin Hansen, he and I were in the same company together. Uh, I wasn't on his team, but we deployed to Afghanistan together, went through assessment selection together, um, just all-around great guy. And after I left, my company deployed back to Afghanistan, and unfortunately on that, on that deployment, Justin um, was shot and killed. And I remember receiving the phone call of one of my buddies. Uh, he's like, Hey man, you hear the news? Like, no, I hadn't. And then that's kind of where I, I, I lose track of the conversation um, that Justin had been shot. And it's, you know, when you're in the community, you can do something about it. Right. So mm-hmm. if someone, if there is a bad, fight, you can go after them, you know, you can hunt them down. Right. I, I couldn't do that. So, but I needed to do something. And since Justin had a beard when he was shot and I don't know why I tell most people it's a coping mechanism. I was like, you know what? I'm going to grow my beard out for Justin's funeral and that I I'm going to do that. And uh, so I started growing it out. And, you know, any man who's ever grown a beard, you know, in the early stages, it gets itchy. It gets irrit- It's irritating. Oh, my God. And, uh, yes. you know, I. I, I, I grew up with a sister, and I was kind of like the guinea pig, you know, for the little makeovers that probably traumatized me in ways I've uh, fully yet to realize. <laughs> but uh, so oh, no. I, I have no <laughs> I have no problem using skincare products, you know, I have no issues with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started trying to look for products to help with the beard itch, and I could also use it as a moisturizer and help with my beard. I couldn't find anything, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to make it. So, you know, fond memories. I'm sitting in my kitchen, watching Breaking Bad. While it's making meth, I'm making lotion, like thinking if my Marines could see what I was doing, I would never hear the end of it. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And, uh, and uh, so, you know, originally it was just for me, but then some of my Navy SEAL buddies, you know, going back to Navy SEALs always want to look good. So I'm going the radio. They're like, Hey, I want that. I was like, Oh, this could be a viable business. So, yeah. um, you know, I decided to, uh, to start that full time. And coincidentally, uh, my, uh, I, I was laid off from my job. Um, they called us all the team leaders. They called us all in on a Saturday. And, uh, one of the biggest contracts that the company had, had been pretty much just obliterated. It was cut. And my team went from 30 people to three people. Oh. And, uh, yeah. And, and my boss, he was another special operations guy. So after on this Saturday, we were going through like you know, getting the brief of what's going to happen and who's going to have to be notified on a Sunday, right? We notified people of the layoffs on a Sunday. But after the meeting, um, you know, my boss and, and, and Pat called me in the office like, Nick, you know, um, you know, your your team is is pretty much gone. And, and unfortunately, we're going to have to lay you off as well. But we have some other jobs lined up for you. Um, what do you think? And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'd hope, you know, if, if I'm a platoon commander and all but three of my platoon members are killed, the platoon commander better be dead too, you know? So like, I totally understand the fact that I'm being laid off. Um, and they knew about Stubborn Stash, they knew I was working on the background. And I told them, I was like, hey, you know what? We're about ready to launch our first product. And I think I'm gonna pursue that full time. They both got these big smiles on their face. Like I, we were really hoping you're gonna say that because that's what we think you should do. I'm like, sweet. So it just kind of all, you just kind of like thrust into it. And then about a week after I was laid off, we launched the first product.
0: Wow. And, and how did that launch go?
1: Not well. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you
0: think the lunch didn't go well?
1: Well, I didn't know any better, right? So like this was in uh, 2012 like, or 2012, 2013. Um, I think it was 2013 when we first started um, selling. And so, you know, I hadn't done any marketing. You know, Facebook advertising was very new. So in my mind, I was like, okay, I'll put up a few Facebook posts and I'll send some email blasts out to um, my friends and family. And it's such an amazing product. You know, everyone's going to want to buy it that's not, it doesn't work that way. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a day or two went by and I finally got the first sale that uh, I didn't recognize. And, um, and then I just started, you know, realizing, okay, I need to reach out and do some PR work and do something. So I just started looking at all these different bloggers and, and different publications and just started reaching out to people. And, um, fortunately in November of that year, um, a woman who I had emailed on Facebook, never heard back from her, never sent her any product. She included our uh, our moisturizer in her holiday gift guide and just one sentence and a, and a picture that she pulled from the website. And in that day alone, we did more sales when that went live than we did since I launched the company. Wow. And uh, that's really kind of what like threw us up there because now we have some some credibility, right? Like she influenced uh, influential blog um, people, you know, like really like loyal follow the following and then other bloggers started reaching out and then barbershop started reaching out and then birch Fox contacted us and then it just started growing from there
0: so the, so first of all thank your sisters for all of this for <laughs> humiliating you as a kid but secondly like when you're building out these this product this one product uh how important was it for you to focus on this before you moved on to the next one
1: so I think um, that this is kind of where I, I uh, could have done things a bit different. So, you know, you have to have that product market fit. And uh, originally I thought that, you know, I just want to push this one product, prove the market, grow our, our customer base, and then start, you know, incrementally releasing more products. And, and then I learned that uh, some of the barbershops and some of the boutiques and things, they normally like to carry at least three SKUs. So they want, you know, if they bring a brand on, they want to have at least three products and I was like, okay, so maybe I should accelerate the, uh, the production timeline. And um, so I originally was making uh, products by hand in my kitchen, but when I realized that we we're going to be a proper company, I, I knew that uh, I wanted uh, it to be properly manufactured. So I'm all about handmade products. You know, I love it, but I come from um, a family with a, a medical background and uh, just the idea of like contamination and bacteria and fungus. And with products that people are putting on their faces, you know, just being able to test not only the finished product for, you know, stability and also, um, you know, uh, microbes, but also the raw ingredients that go into it. Being able to confirm that, yes, like these are the ingredients that we're being told that they are and that they are pure and they're free of any bacteria or any other contamination. Um, That's when I decided to uh, to partner with a lab that, you know, understood the startup life. And um, and that's kind of where things where timelines get drawn out. Because now when you're going back and forth with a lab, you know I tell them, like, hey, this is the product. These are the problems we want to solve. These are the ingredients that I want to include. These are the ingredients I, we absolutely will not include. Um, let's go back and forth and get this right because, you know, they have PhDs in cosmetic chemistry that this is what they do. And uh, so that can take some time. And our first product actually took us a year to get the formula right. And uh, we have a new product coming out later this month, and it's taken us two years um, to get it because it also involves some some FDA approval that we had to, had to uh, receive. Um, but uh, yeah,
2: Nick, I really like that uh, your product is inspired by nature. So, so would you say um, most of the product is uh, natural, uh, natural ingredients, not chemical?
1: Yes, yes. So the, awesome. the vast majority of our ingredients, um, like our beard oil, it's all natural. But the majority of our ingredients are, are natural or naturally derived. And the only time we use synthetics, you know, I like the term "safe synthetics." The only time we use synthetics, uh, synthetic ingredients, is that you know we know that they're safe. And they bring a benefit that um, we can't find uh, in an all-natural ingredient.
0: That's, that makes
2: sense. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So it's it's interesting though that he that he outlines there some really important Carmen because I think there are some folks that I've run into in running Patriot Bootcamp where mm-hmm. they've come in and they've trying to build some sort of product or something mm-hmm. uh, and trying to find distribution. Having three SKUs is important, and that's counterintuitive to a lot of business plans. Right? You want to. Focus on one thing and then move on to the next once you have success. But if you want to have distribution in in some retail spots, having three SKUs, as Nick said, is really important. How did you overcome that as sort of like really counter to what a lot of businesses uh, teach you, which is, like I said, do one thing well and then move on to the next?
1: So it was I mean I know it was all about that mentality. that's what I want to do because I've self-funded everything. So you know now we have a line of credit with our bank, which is wonderful. But, um, you know, I only had the money that I had and then it takes time to, you know, make money so now we can reinvest it and create a new product and do that and just incrementally grow that way. Um, But that really just came from talking with different boutiques and and folks like that and all of them telling me like, hey, we love your product. You need more and we'll bring you on once you have other products to offer. So that's really was kind of the kick in the pants. Like, okay, like I need to find a way to get more products out um, sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, this is a good time to take a, another break, right? Yeah. Go for it, Carmen. Okay. okay. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Media Relations Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this and they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you.
0: Thank you, Carmen, for that. We've been talking to Nick Carnazzi, uh, founder of Stubble & Stash. Uh, So uh, really excited that uh, he's joining us today. We're talking about some of the different uh, businesses and, and sort of strategies you've taken to grow it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the the business of how you're growing this. So you've got three products out in the market. How what are, what are some of the strategies you're taking to help grow your business and acquire new customers?
1: So I found that with uh, skincare products and beer care products in particular, people want to to touch and feel it. Right, they want to try it out before um, you know they, they they buy. So we originally tried doing the uh, the, the sampling route with uh, with Birchbox. We did that a few times. Um, but now we're really starting to focus on, um, the influencer route and that's grown to be such an industry. It's quite interesting, um, to kind of learn more about it and see how, you know, everyone kind of works out, but that's where we're going, um, where we're starting to focus more and more on influencers. But before we started focusing their, uh, content, just creating meaningful, useful content, um, has been the biggest driver of discovery for our brand. So, you know, um, in beard care and men's grooming, men are becoming more and more interested in caring for themselves. You know, both like the holistic self care and also skincare and beard care. So, guys have a lot of questions, um, no longer ashamed to ask them. So, just creating content that helps to answer some of those questions and provide guidance um, has been huge in, in driving um, you know new customers to uh, to our our website and our products. Um, so that's where we started. And then the influencer route and we're starting to do more and more with paid advertising um but uh, you know, as we all know the the, the facebook ads instagram ads you know, that space is getting pretty saturated yeah. um and costs keep going up and up so it's a matter of you know getting creative and trying to find a way to maximize uh, the ad spend and, and, and get a, a decent roi
0: yeah it's it's remarkable to me how big the beard community is overall like there is a very large culture of beard products and beard culture and all these different things. And, and that being said, how do you separate yourself from the noise? How do you separate yourself from other competitors who are doing something similar? Uh, to your, Do you think it's important that you guys have such a great – like you guys have found your why, right? Like there's a good Simon Sinek book called Start With Why. You guys have figured that out pretty pretty quickly, right? Do you think that's part of the key that helps kind of separate you guys? Or is there some other thing that's helping to, is it really good branding? What do you think that secret is that you've been able to unlock?
1: So I think our our early successes were because right now there's still, we were the first beard-friendly moisturizer, right? So when we started, there were beard oils, there were beard balms, but there weren't any moisturizers uh, that were designed for men with facial hair. Um, so right away, like that was both a benefit and also a hindrance because it was a benefit because it was, it was a needed product. No one was doing it. But it was a problem because no one knew about it. So the education component was huge. And I underestimated the need to educate the consumer about what this product is and, and the benefits um, of it. Um, and I think that's really kind of like where we were able to get that initial foothold was the fact that we were producing a product that was highly effective and no one else was doing it. Um, but you're right in regards to the beard care space, you know, it, it is it is heavily saturated, especially when it comes to beard oils. Um, you know, it seems like right now it's a race to the bottom in regards to pricing every day. Yeah. I see a new company that's, you know, slinging beard oil for like cheaper than the actual ingredients that go to ours. Um, so aside from, you know, the story and the uniqueness of our products, um, another, uh, area where we're really kind of shine is is our quality. We've had a number of men come to us that, you know, initially bought, you know, beard, whatever, you know, product from a a cheaper, um, brand and, and they, they Okay, there's got to be something better, and they graduate up to our products um, because the amount of you know time that we put into not only the formulas but the packaging, the function, things like that. Um, so I, I think our quality also helps to kind of set us apart because we do receive a lot of feedback of folks that uh, just rave about you know they've been using this brand now they use us and and, and it's just been night and day. So
0: you mentioned you mentioned earlier uh, needing the having the need to really iterate on your marketing plans and campaigns and doing things a bit differently, give us an example of something that you've used that is, you know, you don't have to give away secrets or anything like that, but but things that you believe are working better than others. You mentioned Facebook's becoming saturated. It's a media that's, uh, you know, sort of going by the wayside. What are some of the other things that you guys have invested in that you think really works that some of our other uh, listeners who are trying to grow their business and struggling uh, might want to try?
1: yeah so that's tough because you know it seems like you, you you find the magic bullet and then it stops working you're like uh, okay <laughs> that was, that was awesome for a while but now it's like hmm um but i think one of what's consistently worked well for us and it's kind of like the military right back to basics like master yeah. the basics and you'll be good so you know trade shows are kind of hard like we just did a pop-up market last night at a local beer garden here in dc and just getting out and getting in front of you know, getting in front of potential customers and talking and interacting and giving samples and letting them try it it's not sexy you know it's not some high speed you know approach but it works yeah. and i was talking to another uh, another lady who um who was bending next to us and, and she they've realized that the more new customers they acquire over the holidays, because people are more inclined to try new things whether it's for gifting or just because they're in the holiday spirit, that is, there's a direct correlation between the amount of new customers that they acquire that holiday season and their revenues for the next year, um, because of the return customer rate. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that's kind of overlooked. And, and aside from that, um, one thing that's really kind of worked with us is, is our authenticity. Um, especially in the beard space, you know, there's so many jokes, like so many brands rely on like, you know, the humor, Um, some of the brands are all about like the masculinity play and like kind of borderline, you know, sexist, which we don't, you know, subscribe to that uh, school of thought at all. Um, but I feel like our authenticity, because, you know, there are so many brands out there. Consumers are being bombarded with advertisements and just being able to connect You know with with potential customers um has has worked out really well for us
2: how did the your uh, business name come about it's kind of catchy and uh uh, why did you choose stubble and stash
1: so my family is greek and we tend to sit around the table and drink a lot of wine and get really loud and uh my aunt and uncle live in mclean virginia and uh we were all up at the around the dinner table and, uh, you know, just started brainstorming names and I had a few ideas and they were quickly shot down saying, nope, that's horrible. And, uh, we were just kind of going around the table, you know, just drinking wine and brainstorming. And that's where it came from.
0: That's mm. interesting. All good things come when you're around the table and you're drinking. I, I'm convinced. <laughs>
1: right.
0: I'm, I'm that Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't. Yeah,
1: I don't know who said the quote, but uh, one of my one of my professors said that there's more philosophy contained in one bottle of wine than all the books in the world. And, you know, there's some truth (laughs) to that.
0: There is that. And I find my do my best thinking in the bathroom as well. So those are two. (laughs) I don't know that they're connected, but they could be. But either way, it's still a good place. Uh, So (laughs) talk a little bit about how you're growing now. How big is your team uh, today?
1: So uh, full time it's just me right now wow. uh, but then I have some folks that, that uh, are helping on, on a contract basis and um, and then we recently partnered with a warehouse in Brooklyn um, for fulfillment um, so between you know the lab and the manufacturing facility uh, and then our, our warehouse up in Brooklyn and then here in DC there are a few folks uh, that we work with and I hate that term contract it like working at, you know on a contract it sounds so sterile you know right. but Even though they're not official employees, it seems like one big family, right? So between the people that we go through for packaging, our manufacturer, we are all on the same team. And and it feels like we're one, you know, coming together. Um, But, uh, you know, here in D.C., since everything's so expensive, economically, it doesn't make sense right now. Um, but as we continue to grow, you know, we definitely gonna have to bring on a few full time employees just because it's 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 too much right now for yeah. for the current setup.
2: So Nick, um, have you do you have any plans to market to sporting goods stores like Cabela's? Uh, I mean, I could see potentially uh, a good market there. Um,
1: yeah, absolutely, and um, you know, especially with you know, in the outdoor space, you know, so many guys have at least some sort of stubble. And we've been waiting, and I can finally say this, but our, our new product that we're launching—it's going to be an SPF 30 version of our moisturizer. So it's going to be the first daily sunscreen designed for men with facial hair. Um, Excellent. Which, yeah, right. So, so once we get that out there, then that's going to be kind of you know what uh, what we're going to be spearheading our outreach to um, you know the Cabela's, the REIs, the you know you name it, um, because we really haven't done any outreach. All of our vendors, all of our retail partners—they've all come to us. Um, We haven't gone on, you know, tour, if you will, trying to find, um, you know, boutiques and retailers that kind of align with with our brand. Um, But once we get that sunscreen ready, um, once we launch it later this month, then it's going to be, you know, kind of full speed ahead.
0: With it being uh, Christmas coming up, I'm still trying to find something that does flocking for beards. Like, I think that's, there's a market there somewhere, Nick. You're welcome to take and run with that. Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) talk a little bit about your distribution, because, uh, you know, as you're growing this out, you know, there's a there's a school of thought in business, right? You go after the trunk, not the branches. And obviously, distribution is that trunk. How do you identify the right distributor who's going to put you in the right place?
1: So that is actually a question that I haven't figured out the answer to, because in cosmetics, right, um, the distribution networks are, are interesting. And there's so many horror stories of brands, especially small and indie brands um, selling to distributors, working with distributors, and then they lose control of their price point. And I've heard, I mean, there's some, some, uh, founders that I work with that, you know, they had lost shelf space in boutiques because going through the distributor, the distributor then sells it to, to other folks that go on Amazon, like really low price. And then the people that have the boutiques are like, Hey, wait a minute. Like people are selling it on Amazon for half of what we're charging. So we have yet to partner with an actual distributor. Um, but we do work with Birchbox, and we recently started working with FabFitFun. Both are amazing companies to work with. Um, and, you know, they're not distributors, but they have such a large right. um, uh, subscriber base that uh, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing the reach that they have. And they've been wonderful, uh, absolutely wonderful to work with. And the amount of feedback that they provide and, and some of the data that they they, they share share with us um, has been phenomenal. How
0: important so is still it
1: still trying to figure out?
0: Yeah. That. How is important how important is it for you to create those partnerships? Because I, I see that as small teams, a lot of entrepreneurs they'll find a partnership that gives them the resources that they can't do, right? How important has that been for you?
1: Oh, it's hugely important. Yeah. So here in DC, we have the um the there's a barbershop called the Barber of Hell's Bottom. And um, you know, I refer to him as one of the co-founders. He's since left and has moved out uh, actually to where you guys are. He's uh, he's on the better coast out there. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he, uh, the barber pal's bottom. I tell you what, th- those folks, those barbers, they, I, every time we have a new formula, I bring it into them and let them test it out and the feedback that they provide. And then, you know, some of their uh, clients that use our products, you know, they try it out on their customers. Um, so just being able to get that that feedback from people in the industry. Um, but uh, yeah, those partnerships are key because I like to say life's a team sport and I've made the mistake of thinking that I can do it all myself, but uh, there's no point in trying to reinvent the wheel when there are folks that uh, want to work with you and you want to work with them. And and uh, it's just been huge uh, when it comes to shortening our learning curve.
2: Yeah. So so are you? is your product now at these barbershops?
1: Yes. So we're in about 20 different retail doors right now, which... Um, You know, is isn't much at all, but uh, um, it's been wonderful having that nice, reliable, you know, every so often they all re-up. But that's going to be one of our our focuses in 2019 is to really kind of increase our retail footprint. Um, So finding other barbershops to work with, other boutiques, um, and uh, getting into some of the larger retails as well.
0: Social media has really changed the way brands interact with consumers. How have you guys leveraged social media to the benefit of, of your business?
1: So, we really see it as a new kind of brand awareness tool. Sure. Um, and uh, you know a lot of people have had great success just like selling directly through you know whichever platform. Um, we haven't seen much success selling directly through. So we've kind of evolved our our strategy to be more of a um, you know kind of value added. Um, so you know aside from just a pretty picture, getting more into um, you know, some, some explanation on products and the ingredients and the value. So we use it more as a, as a discovery tool as opposed to like a straight conversion tool.
0: But it's, what I find compelling about social media is that it gives you a direct channel to consumers. Is that been your guys' experience? Have you, have you seen a lot of great feedback or, or the other side, uh, seen detractors and that you've been able to head those off pretty quickly?
1: Yeah. So we've um, we've seen it as a great way to, um, you know, kind of build uh, those relationships. And and we found that a lot of the people that we interact with on social media are kind of like repeat folks. Yeah. Um, So, you know, they're they're the diehards on the brand and and we just love, you know, engaging with them. And and uh, we're actually going to start doing more of it. We're going to start doing more on the YouTube front, um, doing a lot more video because, you know, that's kind of where everything's going these days is on the video side. Um, so, really looking forward to kind of leveraging some of those outlets a bit more.
2: Nice. And so, how would you reach back to your military community, uh, particularly those uh, those uh, guys that uh, grow out their beards when they're deployed?
1: Yeah. So, we um, send a lot of free product. Actually, just send a bunch of boxes out to the embassy in, in Kabul um, mm. to uh, you know get send some care packages out that way. So, we actually, and this is one of the things we were recently talking about, we don't leverage um, our military connections that much. And and for me, it's like, you know, with my military background and a military story, it's very personal for me. Um, and I feel some brands exploit the military experience, and I'm a bit cautious not to overdo it. You know, I don't want to go full, like full veteran, you know, like full military. Yeah. Um, so, we, we've really been trying to strike that balance where we, you know, pay tribute to, to the military background, especially to Justin. Um, but we don't go all in. You know, there's some veteran companies out there that are absolutely crushing it. That are like full on veteran in it, worst form. You know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and that that's amazing and, and good on them for doing that. But we've actually found some people that are a bit reluctant. They're almost intimidated um, because they're like, well, you know, I really want to use this product, but I'm not like that's not really me. Yeah. And so they can't connect to the brand. So we've been trying to ensure that we kind of align ourselves and, and 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 don't overdo it but also ensure that everyone knows that, that we have the military connection um you know both through you know how we came about and then also our philanthropic support
0: yeah all you got to do is just reassure them that when they open the can it won't yell at them that's all you got to do right
1: yeah <laughs>
0: we're gonna uh, hit the last uh, commercial break uh real quick is that okay nick sure go for it uh go for it Alan. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code startupruby. All right, well, we are back with Nick Carnazzi, founder of Stubble & Stash. That guy who reads the radio announcements, man, our commercials, he's on point, isn't he great? He's got a great (laughs) voice. I love it. He does. Uh, So, Nick, I wanted to talk a little bit. We've got about 15 minutes left. I want to talk a little bit about this uh, cause that you've aligned yourself with. Obviously, it's very personal for you, uh, having Justin be sort of like the precipice for why you created this company, but talk to me about why this is so important to you that uh, you give to causes that are focused on mental health.
1: Yeah. So for me, I mean, as, as growing up, I struggled with depression um, and, uh, you know, going into the military, especially working in the intelligence community where you're holding you know high security clearances. Um, it was always one of those things. If you were struggling personally, you, you didn't talk about it because you didn't want to lose your security clearance, especially sure. in, the, in the special operations community. If you lose your clearance, you lose your job. So, I mean, there were men and women suffering from, you know, depression, suffering from uh, PTS, you know, things of that nature. And uh, with Justin, you know, it hurt. It was really difficult when he was killed. Um, but he died fighting, right? He died with his boots on in combat. Like, okay, that's all what we signed up to. We, we understand the risk. Like, he died a warrior's death. What really, really messes with me are, are my, my friends and my Marines that have committed suicide after coming home. Um, mm mm-hmm. And that, I just, it, it's so hard because, like, you know, we all have dark days. Like, we've all had the hard times. Yeah. And I, I am not okay with, like, people thinking that, you know, that it's not going to get better for them. And, you know, I've lost a few close friends to suicide. And it's just one of those things when I built this company from the beginning, like, hey, we're going to have this philanthropic component. And to the best of our ability, we're going to support these organizations that are helping to both treat and also reduce the stigma around mental health. And I think you know today it's wonderful. More and more people are talking about you know depression. They're talking about suicide. They're talking about self care, um, and the stigma is kind of you know going away from it. Um, but uh, there, there are just so many people that, that are, are suffering in silence, and and it's needless. Yeah, and I mean, to me like that, I, I just get fired up talking about it. You know, like I no, could go it's, on and on about this, but
0: it's an important topic to discuss, and it and it's something that we've tried to really uh, bring out in this program because. It, what's interesting to me is, you know, I run a nonprofit called Patriot Boot Camp, and we've had these things where, you know, being an entrepreneur is a really tough thing to get into. So you go from, you know, in your case, going from the battlefield to starting a business. It's it's not the same, and it's a different type of stress, but it is really, really difficult. And I remember we did one program uh, in Denver last year. And it was called Surviving Startup Failure. And we had, it was standing room only, we had 40, 50 people in the room. And I, I, we had people that had been to Afghanistan, been to Iraq, seen some real crap, right? And stood there and said, because my startup may fail, I've thought about suicide. And that's so profound because it's not just once you get out of the military uh, that you're dealing with this, if you want to be an entrepreneur. It just com- almost compounds it, right, and mm-hmm. just builds on top of it. So you're absolutely right. Having a discussion and continuing the dialogue about you know, lowering the stigma, being okay to talk about it, uh, is so important, man. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, and it hits all of us too. Like there are days, like I actually I get all my healthcare through the VA, yeah. um, and I actually met with my doctor, and I was like, hey, listen, like I love what I'm doing. I'm very passionate about my company. Like I'm all in. Like this is I'm doing what I want to be doing. Like but some days I don't want to work like some days I just can't like my motivation some days to do stuff just isn't there. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I was talking with them about it and it's like, you know, you, people don't, unless you're in the startup world, you don't realize how lonely it can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, how scary it can be sometimes, you know, because one day you're doing great and the next day you're not, you are like, oh, no, like the business is going to fail. I'm out of money. I don't know what to do. Like, you know, all is lost. I have, you know, people depending on me, you know, it's tough. It's hard. It's like, and it's, yeah, I mean, I, I've had more dark days in the startup world than I did in the military.
0: That's profound right there. That is really important to talk about, too, because so what do you do to when you have those dark days? What do you do to mitigate that darkness?
1: Uh, so I found and like we all know this, right? Like if 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 I'm having a really bad day, I need to work out. You know, I need to work out. I need to go for a run I, I or I need to do something. But Some days, you know, when you're when you're feeling bummed, getting motivated to go work out is hard. You know? yeah. So that's when um, that's when I have my, my support network, you know, whether it's my, 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 parents are very supportive. Um, but also here in DC, we have a growing startup community. So I have a few close friends that uh, were in the military, um, that also have their own companies now and I can call them up and I'd be like, Hey man, like I, I need to vent to you, you know, yeah. just talk it out, you know, just, just being reminded that you're, you're not alone, that the, the problems that you're facing, people have been there before. And just because people have been there before, doesn't make your experience any less. And but you can get through it. Right. It's like nice to be like, oh, yeah, like I totally understand where you're coming from. Like, that's such a bummer. Like, that's so stressful. However, like, look at this. Look at that. Look at that. Like, go do this. Like, okay, like talk out. Let's get a game plan, you know, because like in the military, like when you're like, I I never felt you know helpless in the military because we fall back on our training. Right. Right. Like, you know, it doesn't matter how bad the gunfight is. I know that I can do something. I know that you know the people to my left and my right they're competent and they can do something and we can call on air support like we always have options but when you're in a new space entrepreneurship and you're facing a problem and you don't have that training so sometimes like I don't know what to do you're feeling helpless and when you feel helpless that's when you feel that's when you become a bit more susceptible to some you know some of these darker things like the depression and things like that um, so having those people that I can call on when I'm feeling helpless like hey dude you're not helpless. Here's what we
2: can do.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's true. I mean, you read all the right books. You can listen to all the right podcasts. You can go to all the right seminars. But at the end of the day, when the shit hits the fan, like there's there's no book that you can go back to and be like, all right, where how do I fix this, right? What training component can I use to fix this, this piece? Right, Carmen?
2: Right. So, Nick, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've been in business for 21 years. I'm also ex-army. Um, and it is a very... Uh, difficult thing. Um, And so uh, the thing is that you almost have to be your own cheerleader to keep going, because there's the option. I remember when I started, uh, after a year, I was like the employee of my own corporation. After a year, I thought, well, I can't grow it if I'm working it. And so I quit, and things got worse before they got better. And, I mean, I got to the lowest point where I was about to lose my house, and but I didn't want to give up on my dream. And so I had to be my own cheerleader, and I did break through. And it is now, fast forward 21 years, and I'm doing my dream. And so I've been there, and I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. I think, that's yeah, it's, I think we've all been there, and and, and what to, to kind of loop this, loop this back, and, and what you were saying, Nick, is you you gotta find an outlet, right? You gotta find some way to to channel that angst and that anxiety that you mm-hmm. feel as a founder, uh, to to best put it into context, because that's the only way you're gonna be able to find that path out of that stress.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you have to find a way to to be able to turn it off. You know, when, when as an entrepreneur, you're always thinking about your business. You know, and that's that wears you down. So just having that, you know, whatever for me it's fly fishing. When I'm fly fishing, like my mind stops and I'm only focused on, you know, in the moment, which is huge. It's very meditative. You need to come um, out to so the just,
0: to Portland, my friend. We we definitely need to go I do know. some fishing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to convince my fiance that we should move out west, but uh, you know, hey, she's got she's got a job uh, here in DC that's absolutely amazing. So we're gonna we're gonna hang out for a little bit, but I would love to get out that way.
0: Just come visit, and we'll we'll show you around. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And,
2: so and we awesome. we got to interview. Uh, uh, an ex-military, I can't remember what branch he was in, but he actually started a non fly-fishing organization. Yeah, Soul River. It, it came out of his pain. Yeah. He was actually, after the military, he had quite some bad experiences and came back, found himself homeless, and somebody started mentoring him with fly-fishing, and now he has an organization that he runs to help um, yeah. street... Uh, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's sort
0: of like urban uh, urban, urban youth,
2: urban youth, with and
0: military vets.
2: And yeah. then he takes uh, uh, them out, and they even go to Alaska, and they bring other vets to help uh, support yeah. that program. So. That might be something uh, you might be interested in. But oh, it's, it, uh, it, it was such a neat story because out of his pain, he was able to, you know. In fact, he said that the VA, you know, took him off all his prescription and put fly fishing as the prescription. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. So, Nick, we have a few minutes left. I, we asked this question of all of our uh, founders. What is the one thing, the one thing that you've screwed up really badly? And what have you done to make sure that you don't do that again?
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> just one, huh? Um,
0: just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Founders have that trouble, too. They can't pick just one. They, we've all done a, a pretty bad job in many areas. But what's the one thing that you know, if you did it again, it's going to really scuttle your progress?
1: Yeah, so I think the one thing that, that I've done that just I, – I, it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day administration, you know, running a business. Like, oh, I need to do this. i got to handle this administrative task. I need to do that. Um, And then you stop like selling. So in my case, you know, on social media, we've been doing this for a while and I did not position um, myself. You know, I just wasn't engaged enough uh, on social media and creating content to really establish ourselves as the expert in the field early on. Um, So my biggest mistake is losing sight of the importance of always thinking like, okay, what am I doing today to drive sales? Uh, And and just kind of hiding behind some of these tasks because, you know, especially if we're talking about, you know, getting on camera, um it it can be intimidating being in front of a camera can be intimidating so it's easy to make excuses like oh uh i have to fill out this paperwork for the fda today oh no i gotta go you know so um i think for me uh one of my biggest mistakes was just getting caught in the minutiae some of the day-to-day uh business tasks and using that as an excuse uh that prevented me from actually driving sales um so i think i would have outsourced some of that stuff sooner
0: that's great that's great feedback i think that's really important too because uh you know ultimately you can't do it all you Mm -hmm. can't do it all well right
2: right you bring in the people, sometimes people that are smarter than you in certain areas if you really want to grow and um, be successful.
0: Yeah. So, Nick, this has been amazing. I, I think this. Is, I'm going to go on your website and order some product now because uh, my beard needs some love.
2: I'm going to order some for my boys. <laughs> yeah.
0: So. Uh, I appreciate it. So, Nick, tell people where they can find you online.
1: So they can find us online uh, just at on our website, com. So S-T-U-B-B-L-E-A-N-D-S-T-A-C-H-E.com. And then we also have a few of our products uh, on Amazon, Amazon Prime. So we have our, our beard oil, um, our beard wash, and our moisturizer are also available on uh, on Amazon. I love um, That's great. Then, yeah.
0: Wonderful. Very cool. And where can people Thanks. find you, uh, you directly, Nick?
1: So you can probably find me, well, directly here in D.C. Um, but uh, – um yeah on on uh, on Instagram and Facebook is just my my full name um and then also you know through the support account um on which is listed on our website I can get in touch with me that way as well
0: Perfect. Well, Nick, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you over the last uh, hour. So we wish you you all the luck. So you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network, the network that brings inspiration and education to startups and entrepreneurs around the globe. Tune in next week and every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Listen, learn, and get shit done. See you guys all next week.
1: You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10%